if you knew you were about to, to depart forever, as in you were about to die, what would you want to do in the moments or days before you did? Uh, Tim McGraw has this great old country song. Uh, it's not old country. It is just, it's older now, I guess. Live like you were dying. And he has that line in it. I don't know quite how to take it, but he says, I hope someday you can know what it's like to live like you were dying. That sounds like a strange wish for someone. Um, but there are really only two options you have. You die, and it's a total sudden thing that no one knew about before, or, or you know it a few weeks or days before. So I'm gonna, I just want to take a poll for my own interest. If you can determine this, if you had a say in this, you're going to die, and you, and you could have two weeks and know you're going to die in two weeks, or if you were to die suddenly and didn't even know what was happening, which would you prefer? The die suddenly people. Okay, that's interesting. How many would like to have a couple of weeks' notice? That's most of you. Okay, I kind of, that's interesting. Because most people I talk to, they'll say, you know, if I could just die in my sleep and not even know it's coming, that's the way to, to go. But there's, there's this sense I want to know it's coming. I think you got some stuff you'd like to take care of, right? It doesn't really matter. I, I, actually, I choose the third, Jesus comes. Okay, let's put that one in. Jesus comes before you die at all. That's kind of what I thought. That's kind of, that's right. But in this case, neither, none of that matters because Elijah's not dying. He just, he knows, however, he's going to be whisked away. We're told that he knows this. He knows that it's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows where it's going to happen. And he's kind of gearing up for this, right? In this text that was just well read a moment ago. Not only that, but Elisha knew it. God was sharing his details with Elisha. Not only that, but it seems like all these other prophets, these no-name prophets, no, I'm not saying they're no-name like they don't matter. I'm saying we don't have their names. These people knew. So these in the prophetic uh, pipeline of God, God had already decided this and let it be known. It wasn't a private thing. We have no idea what Elijah thought about it. We aren't given how God told him or any of them. Elijah wanted to die back in 1 Kings chapter 19, and God wouldn't let him. And now he won't even require him to now. He's one of those two people that never experienced death. And what we see here are the final moments, and he knows it. He knows what his final moments are are here. And what does he do? What does he do before he goes? Well, first it seems as he, you, <laughs> I find it comical to, re, to hear that story. He read it really well. I like the way you heard some of the, uh, the, the interesting uh, redundancy or repetitiveness in this text. He, he seems to make a final tour of the prophecy schools of Israel. He traces the routes uh, of geographically of these schools of prophecy where it was training or they were uh, they were getting together and 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 being in significant places and it also happens to be really big deal places in the history of Israel it's like he's he's reliving the history of Israel before he leaves and maybe even his own life I I don't know if you're a sentimental person I don't some people are and some people aren't um uh, in, in our marriage, Melissa's not sentimental. I'm very sentimental. There's places on the Curley's Ridge College campus that are still holy ground for me. If I'm going to make a big decision or have some time to contemplate something deep in my head, I'll go to these particular places that no one else would go to. Fredertown, Missouri has this one street 
that, that, that I still would go down. It's kind of like if, if it could talk, it would be a wonderful conversation I'd have. There was one in Henderson too, but they dug it up and put a building on it, so I guess there's nothing left there of that. But that's kind of aging me too. So The idea of sacred spaces is something I feel keenly, and in this text it seems like maybe, maybe God's letting Elijah do this. Because he takes them to significant places. First, Gilgal. That final camping spot on the east side of the Jordan before you enter the promised land. That's where they were in Joshua 4, right before Jericho in chapter 5. The nation stood on the verge of finally getting what God had been promising for years and years. Actually, since Abraham's promise. But certainly for this generation, since they left Egypt... Although most of them had died and only their children now saw it. But, but they were on the, they were on, finally, after all this time of living with the manna and God telling them about this promised land and preparing for when it would happen, they were, they were on the cusp of it, on the very edge of it. And this dream, this hope, this plan of God was finally going to become a reality. That's what Gilgal is, is looking at something that's going to be God's fulfillment. Elijah, for himself, had to compare Gilgal to Cherith and Zarephath, these two places God sent him before he really uh, worked into his mission. Just go back to Gilgal for a while and look to that time before God delivered on the promise as he was just about to. And then he went to Bethel, another city. And by the way, all these cities he goes to, these prophets knew, and they tried to bring it up. And did you hear it in the reading? I love the way he said it. You know he's about to take your master from you. Yeah, don't talk about it. What? What's that about? He just doesn't want to talk about it. Elisha knows it's happening. But there's some angst in him, and he doesn't even want to talk about it. Or maybe he's protecting Elijah. Maybe Elijah doesn't want to talk about it. Bethel was the second one. This means house of God, and there's, there may be more than one place named this, but certainly in Genesis chapter 12, as Abraham is given that first issue of the promise was in Bethel. That first time when God said, I'm going to make you a great nation, and people who bless you will be blessed, people who curse you I will curse. And that's that promise that leads to Jesus, that leads to your baptism, that leads to you being a child of God, to you being a citizen of heaven. It's that very same promise, and it was at Bethel. But even a couple of people later, Jacob has this time with God, and he wakes up in the morning and calls it Bethel, and he, you remember the dream and all that stuff, and he makes this promise. And then later on, when he's got a little distracted, God says, I want you to go back to Bethel. I want you to remember that covenant, that time when we got together. Bethel becomes that place where a person really comes to know God. I think probably most of us have several Bethels, actually. Yeah, you have your conversion, and baptism's important, but at some point in time in your life, you just have this really close experience with God and you become to know him as father that's that's your Bethel kind of thing Bethel for Elijah must have been Mount Horeb down and frustrated and he meets with God and God quietly makes a, an appearance to him and that changes his life then he comes to Jericho and you know Jericho Joshua fought the battle of Jericho we sing that song this is when finally they actually do battle but they learn very easily in this battle 
that while they're doing fighting and following God's instructions and blowing the horn, they know that God's out there fighting in front of them. There's no way you can fight the battle of Jericho and walk away saying, boy, we really tore them people up because the way that battle went had nothing to do with them. Well, a little bit, but it mostly had to do with God. Those times in your life when you really, really do know that God's the one fighting for you, God's the one leading you. That's Jericho. And I have to think that Elijah, while he was at Jericho, thought of Mount Carmel. Yeah, he thundered against all those false prophets, but you know Elijah's not the one who brought the fire. Elijah knows that. You know that. There's times in life when you finally realize God really is in your life and he's doing amazing things and you start giving him the credit for it. And then the last stop is the Jordan River. That promised land boundary that was so problematic, but he walked them through on dry ground. You remember that? Well, they do like an encore. He rolls up his jacket and just slaps the water and it parts, and that had to be amazing. And he had 50 witnesses there watching it. Pretty phenomenal. And now we associate Jordan with like death. We have all the songs talking about over Jordan and all that. And when we get into our promised land, and it's a perfect metaphor, it seems to me. So he takes this nostalgic journey. I just think that's what he's doing. I can't prove it. It just seems like a, a perfect thing for a sinful person, person to do. The first thing he does, let's, let's tour these schools of prophecy. Maybe he's encouraging these prophets. Maybe he is... Maybe he's letting them know who his successor really is. It's none of them. It's Elisha who's with him. And that's the second thing. Who's the successor? He shaped him. He's known who the successor was since 1 Kings 19 when God told him to go anoint Elisha as his successor. So he's known it. And Elisha knows it, and, and so he's following him, and he wants to watch him, and he wants to absorb every moment until then. And so when any time Elijah says to him, hey, you stay right here, I'm going to go ahead. This Ain't no way I'm not going with you. I'm going with you. And then, and then he makes this great request. It's one of the great requests of Scripture. When you have a time to, when you have a chance to ask for anything you want, and so Elijah says, is there anything that you want that I can give you before I go? And you know, this is kind of like Solomon being told by God, you can have anything you want. And what does Solomon want? Wisdom, what a great request, but there's one even better, and it's this one. Elisha, what can I give you? I want twice the spirit you got. Oh, what a good answer, right? I mean, this I want to double, and he does. He does double the miracles. He does double everything. Elisha just is this force, and Elijah can't really do that. He can't really give him that. It's not his to give. But I guess led by God, he says, you know, if you see me when I go, you got it. And I'm going to guess this, Elisha never blinked again until after he was taken. I ain't taking my eyes off you for nothing. I think this is from Deuteronomy 21, 17. The oldest son gets a double portion of the inheritance. He's saying, I want to claim sonship of you. I love that. Now, along with that, you know, 
you have double the responsibility too. And Elisha is going to have to take on the mantle of responsibility. So with this review of his life, with the prophetic, uh, this prophetic promise for Elisha, the next scene happens that's kind of strange to me. We're in 2 Kings chapter, 10, after, uh, chapter 2, verse number 11, where he left off the reading just a moment ago. As they still went and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. The chariots and horses had only one function, to put space between Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up by whirlwind. He did not go up by the fiery chariots or horses. He went up by the whirlwind. The horses and the chariots simply separated the two of them. And Elisha saw it. Good thing, because he had to to get the double portion, right? So he wasn't blinking. And he cried, my father, my father. That's kind of what you say uh, to your father, right? So he's claiming sonship right here. But then he says, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. That's all with an exclamation point in my version. And he saw him no more. Now this is peculiar to me. I don't really know. I've always thought, right? Have you? I've always thought all he's doing is being a commentator of what he saw. He's just saying out loud what it is that he saw. Like a good ESPN analyst or something, right? I don't know if that's really what happens here. I, this is not the last time he sees it. Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, which we haven't gotten there yet, when he's surrounded by the enemy and the servant is so upset about it and comes and, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha says, God, would you open his eyes so he could see? And for a few moments, his servant gets to see the chariots of fire. It seems like He's given spiritual vision that most people don't have right here. But what makes me think this is weird is 2 Kings chapter 13. We're going ahead to Elisha's death. We're looking at Elijah's death. But we're going to fast forward a moment to Elisha when he dies. It says, now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash king of Israel went down to him and wept before him crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Did he see a vision? Did God sweep Elisha away too? I don't know what to make of this other than to say, I'm wondering if this is an honorable way to describe the true secret of Israel's greatness. When something great, when someone great, or when the great trusting force, the great guiding force of a nation leaves, you say, this is our horsemen, and this is our chariots. This is our great defender. And is Elisha saying, as Elijah is swept up, here is the true hope of Israel, and now he's taken his place. And when he dies, the king notices this and says, with Elisha's death, there goes the greatest defense of our nation. I don't know. I suggest you ask Joel Inman sometime, or Joel's wife, either one. You can ask him. That maybe it's interesting though, because I don't think he's just saying, I th I, I'm, I, I, "Here's what I see." I think he's saying something really significant's happening, and it's not on the battlefield, and it's not with our war equipment and our military and our money. It's with the prophets of God who are faithful. 
So he reviews his life, the chariots of fire, all that happens. This was an honor and a ceremony. It's sort of like I would call his memorial, except that he's not dead. He just disappeared. Elisha then tears his clothes, and the cloak of Elijah that had fallen, he picks up, and he strikes the water of the Jordan with all these other prophets watching, and that water splits apart. The greatness of Elijah is on Elisha, and not only does Elisha know that, so did all the prophets who were watching this. They knew who the successor was. And Elijah was gone, the man who had made this difference, who spoke valiantly and agitated the powers that be when they weren't being faithful. He made a contribution as he left to honor their history, to remember their history, call them back to their history, but also march them forward through Elisha to the, to the future that laid away, uh, ahead of them. Elijah then becomes an Old Testament example for us, a song we sing these days. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. We need, these are days when we need someone who will stand up and declare the words of the Lord. That's simply. We need people who will speak and call people back. Now, there's two things about Elijah I want you to remember because he still continues to function, even today, but certainly in the Bible story he does in two ways. He calls people back to what God says. Now, it's important to know this. To know what God has said for us, you have to go back to what we already know. We already have the Scriptures and so many people want something new, something more, something updated. We need a new yearbook. We need some new, fresh ideas. No, no, no. That's the danger of God's people. We need to go back in order to go forward. We need to go back to the Word and remember what He said. There are no updates. There are no new additions. It's all right back there. Quit marching forward to the progression of our culture. Instead, march backward to where God spoke. We need to go back to the words. Now, we know this from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. I, I, I was hoping I'd forgotten. This is the last words of the Old Testament, y'all. Malachi closes out the old canon. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. They were all looking for the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. That's all the way through the Old Testament. Everybody wants the day of the Lord to come. He says, but before the day of the Lord comes, I'm going to send Elijah first. Elijah's not done yet. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of their children, hearts of the children of their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He will call them back to the faith of the fathers. He will march them back to the word of God because they've forgotten it. The prophet doesn't always foretell. But the prophet always calls you back to the Word of God. And before the Lord comes, someone's going to call them back to a life of the Word. But then there's this other thing, right? You think Elijah's done now, surely, right? He's been swept up to heaven, and, and yeah, they're going to use him metaphorically as, uh, of course, we know John the Baptist, but there's one other time. You know this, Luke, or the second task, I should say, next screen. He's also pointing them forward. 
He's saying, go back to the word, guys. Go back to our history and our back to our God. But he's also saying, go with Elisha as he leads you forward into the future. I want to keep pointing to the future. We keep going. It goes this word. This word that I'm pointing you back to needs to go on into the future. And Elisha's going to show you. But in the New Testament, he does this once too. Here's Luke chapter 9. You know this as the transfiguration. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, went up on a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Jesus had a mission to perform ahead that was going to be the most important feature of the gospel story. And here was Elijah pushing him forward. What did he and Moses contribute to this conversation as they talked about his departure? He was saying, your job is tough, but you got a job to do. Now march forward and take, do your mission and complete your task, just like Moses did, just like Elisha did. The two tasks of Elisha, call people back to the Word of God in every generation, point people toward faithfulness for the future. And if there is one or two things that we need to do, this Sunday night crowd, old and young, we need to be a group of people who point people back to the Word of God because they've forgotten that this old Word that we've always had is still the guiding revelation of our lives. But let's point forward and let's bring young people into this. We need intergenerational ministry in our churches that calls people back to old faithfulness and word. But we also need to point our young people. Don't, don't be one of these generations that say, I hope the church, I hope that it's kind of like the church is all wrapped up with me and when we're gone it's just going to be lost. You don't want that. You want a faith that marches on into the future. And right now, there's only one way to really influence the future is point our young people, present young people, back to the Word of God and march them forward into history that we won't see. And you can have an influence on the future only if you're faithful in pointing back to the past. That's a delicate task. It's what Elijah did on his last days. And that's what we need to be doing with ours. There's anyone who needs to respond this, more, this evening. Anytime you can make your life right with anything that's amiss right now, make it known to us as we stand and as we sing together.